church family, I want to just take a moment to just publicly acknowledge Sam Eddington, who's not even in this room right now. Man, I didn't realize this was going to go south right away. But uh, anyways, that guy, he does so much. Um, but uh, also, uh, we don't have him a whole lot longer. He wants to become a doctor. Um, I believe contrary to what God's actually calling him to do. He just won't listen, though. But uh, he's wanting to become a doctor, taking the easy way out, um, going that simple, simple education route of Dr. Eddington. But again, he's my one degree of separation. I'm going to know everybody through Sam. Uh, I did not take the easy way out. I went to school for physical education. Way harder degree, if you're wondering. Um, there's a, a saying that they always told us when we were in phys ed school. Those who can't do teach and those who can't teach, teach physical education. And it's kind of true. Um, you know, it's like who I can't teach math. You guys have witnessed that. I'm not good at English, so it's like, let's tell kids how to play tag. Simple enough. You go, tag that kid. Don't let that kid tag you. Simple. You got it. Um, but I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Racquetball, tennis, badminton, basketball, hard classes, extremely hard classes. But uh, there was a semester in college where I got just really involved in like military. I just, I, I have the deepest respect for servicemen and women who are willing to, you know, pay that sacrifice of up to their life. And I remember there was um, one semester that, again, to add, I had this hard class of doing yoga and learning how to do Pilates and everything like that. And it was like, let's, let's add some difficulty to it. So I took ROTC. I took a military class for a semester, and it was difficult. Flew in a Black Hawk helicopter, shot rifles, um, difficult stuff. Uh, my college career was hard. I'm really seeking sympathy from everybody right now, and I realize I'm not getting any. But it was, it was that semester that I took ROTC, and uh, my, my respect for the military just grew as I learned more and more about what they did and who they were and just the sacrifices and everything. And then um, I graduated college, but that admiration, that respect for the military has stayed. Uh, there's a lot of movies. Honestly, my top favorite movies of all time are all military movies where these men are willing to go beyond what the normal citizen would do to risk their life. And honestly, there's a lot of times whenever I'm watching these movies that they get over and honestly, I just feel empty inside. If I'm honest, it's just kind of like, man, like that guy was willing to pay that price. He was willing, like he gave his life for such a noble cause. And then I come back to reality and it's like, man, sometimes I can get distracted and I can, I can get into the mindset of where it's like, okay, I'm into the day-to-day -day routines. Wake up, brush your teeth, get ready for work, go to work, go home, eat dinner. And it's a re repetition and you can lose focus in life. But honestly, as Christians, as believers, we have the most noble cause. I mean, as much as I respect military men and women for the sacrifices that they're willing to go to, and that those are noble efforts that they're doing, as believers, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we have the most noble cause. We are fighting not just for a temporary freedom that possibly could be taken away again, but we're fighting for an eternal freedom. 
We, we have the greatest cause. You as a Christian, when you place your faith in Christ, become employed in the greatest army in the history of mankind. One that has been going on for so long is larger than current population when you look at everything. Like, it is massive. You're no longer living for yourself. You're no longer living this life for your pleasures, your desires, whatever it is that you want to do. You're answering a call to something far greater. You're answering a call to fight for not only your own uh, uh, faith in Christ, you're answering the call to fight for your families, your friends, that there is, as Gene mentioned, there is eternity at stake. There is eternity of eternal hell, or eternal life with Christ. And that's the call that every single one of us have been engaged in, have been called into. And so we're going through this series, Teach Us to Pray, where we're looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus is going to be telling us that we need to kind of shift our focus. In this prayer, he opens up by telling us who we're addressing, and now he kind of shifts it by saying our focus has to change. When we pray so often, I, I was saying this prayer the other day, and it just hit me that as I'm praying, it's give me, help me, do this for me. It's me, me, me. So often our prayers become internally focused. But what Jesus is going to tell us today is when you pray, you need to align your vision, not with your own desires and your own what you want, but with what God desires, what his will is. That it's no longer about advancing the name of Andy Peterman or whatever I want, but it is about advancing the gospel and the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 again. And we'll read the entire Lord's Prayer again. It's four short verses. And if you'll stand, we'll read it, and then we'll open in a word of prayer. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, you are so good. And God, I just pray that right now as we just uh, dive into this section of your prayer that you modeled for us. God, may we see this, and, and may we just step out from the center of our lives and place you in the middle of what we are to be all about. God, I pray that you just speak through me to hearts that are open, hearts that are hungry, and as we sing, God, that your word rain down on us. Change our lives this morning, God. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. And so this, this was a thought that I had the other day. I was just kind of thinking about this sermon, but even not even related to this sermon, I was just thinking, what if I lived life like I were in a battle? Like what if every day I woke up and I lived l this life like Jesus meant what he was saying when he spoke through the Apostle Paul, that we are in a battle, that there is a spiritual war going on. 
I mean, so often we want to kind of just check out, it seems, and we'll do the spiritual things here and there, but oftentimes we check out and it's like, hey, this life is just about the mundane. It's just about like, hey, I saw this cash, cashier. I saw this uh, person checking out my groceries. I saw this teacher, whatever it is, this coworker, and we don't see them in the eternal, but we see them just as, man, that person annoys me. Man, that rubs me the wrong way. I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to clock in, clock out, and go home. What if instead we actually viewed it as there is a spiritual war going on? What if we actually took God's word serious, and whenever we saw those encounters, we saw there is eternity at stake. It's not about my comforts. It's not about me making a fool of myself or not by maybe opening up my mouth to try and share the gospel with somebody, and that would be horrible if I got mocked, and so I'm going to stay quiet. But it's about actually responding to what God is calling me to do. It's about actually stepping up and fighting in the battle that God has called us to. Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so here's the thing. We're in this battle. I mean, honestly, you don't get to have a say in it. You are in this battle whether you like it or not. The question is, are you going to fight? Are you going to go from this place realizing, hey, I am entering the battlefield, that the people I encounter, they're, they're prisoners of war that need to be set free, that whenever I'm struggling with a coworker or a family member or a friend or even an enemy, whatever it is, that that person is not truly the enemy because Paul just said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But instead, there's a spiritual force behind them that has taken captive who they are. Are we willing to fight in the battle that we're called to? Because that's how Jesus teaches us to pray. In our passage today, verse 10, your kingdom, not my kingdom, not sinner Christian's kingdom, God's kingdom. God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And first off, this is the simple will of God, that you be saved. John six forty. for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what is God's will? So often, again, we get caught up in this, God, what is your will for my life? Should I take this job or this job? Should I move into this house or this house? What is your will for my life, God? He says simply right there, believe in his son. And then from that, we are called to go, once we believe, to go and share that. So really it's not, well, which job pays better, but maybe it could be which job allows me to advance the kingdom of God further. Which job allows me to become a soldier in the army of God where I can go and I can do his will more than mine? Because so often that paycheck looks a little bit better. So often it's like, ooh, this one pays a little nicer. I can have nicer things. I can tithe a little bit more, but really it doesn't allow me to share the gospel. And so which one allows you to fight for the kingdom? Because that's what we're told. 
We are told to go and do likewise, to once we have received the kingdom of God, become members of the kingdom of God through Jesus, we're called to go. Matthew 28, 19. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This battle is one in which we fight daily for ourselves even. We're, we're first off fighting to die to our own personal desires. Because again, if you were told to go, hey, from this place, go and preach the gospel, like literally, Jesus meant the words that he just said. Go and make disciples. Go and share the word of God. And you're sitting there, and you're going out to lunch. The waiter comes, and it's like, you know, I feel God's telling me to, like, ask them, hey, do you have a faith? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Maybe you're like me, and it's like you get clammy, and your hands start to sweat, and you get nervous about, man, how do I follow up that conversation? I mean, I don't know how it is, but what if we took that seriously? And so we need to die to our own desires, because my desire is to not be uncomfortable. I hate being uncomfortable. But God is saying, hey, how about you die to that personal desire of comfort? Because you're seeing there is a life at stake. There is an eternal, not just a physical, hey, maybe this could make your life better on earth, but there is an eternal life at stake. That, hey, this person that I'm calling you to talk to, they might not get another breath. And what if you could share with them the source of eternal life? And then you say, hey, do you have a faith? And they're like, oh, yes, I love Jesus so much. And then it's like, oh, I am so encouraged by talking to you. You actually just strengthened my faith. Sometimes it works out that way. Regardless, we're called to go and share the gospel with them. So we die to our own personal comforts, our pride, our luxury, whatever it is that we are holding on to and saying, not that, God. I'm not giving that one up. And God is saying, that's the very thing that you need to die to. Usually a spouse is really good at showing you this. Mine did an amazing job. She said, how about you give that up? I was like, anything but that. But it was the right thing. And so how about we die to whatever it is that is holding us back? That's the first part of this battle. We have to die ourselves. And then it says, not our will, but God's will. Your will be done. What you desire, God. What, what you are calling me to do. And it, it's a daily thing. Because when we pray, we're praying, God, your will, which is a scary thing. It's kind of like, God, I'm praying for more patience. And then the entire week, you are filled with tests on patience. And it's like, I didn't mean it that much, God. And so when we pray, God, your will, not my will, God's going to provide a way for us to step out of those zones and step into his will of sharing gospel. But we have to be ready to respond and react like that. So the first part is dying to ourselves. The second part, is, I believe, is seeing the significance of what we're praying. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Because honestly, like, life isn't necessarily great. We have difficulties. We have struggles. We're actually told that we're going to. But so many times we get caught up dealing in minimal, trivial little things. My stove went out. 
You know, oh, I got to deal with whatever it is, whatever it is. I blew another tire, whatever it is. We are dealing with these little minimal trivial things that we like to make huge things. And yet we don't care so much about the major things. Jonah is a great example of this. I just got done reading Jonah in my quiet time, and at the end, Jonah chapter 4, you know, Jonah, the, to catch you up on the first three chapters, Jonah is called to go to Nineveh, the capital of uh, Syria, and they're about to actually come and conquer Israel, and so Jonah said, told, go to Nineveh, and Jonah says, no way, God, I'm going the opposite direction. Storm comes, the sailors realize Jonah's the reason, they throw him over, big fish comes and eats him, he doesn't die, he lives in the belly of the fish for three days, three nights and then the spit the spit fishes him out the fish spits him out the fish spits him out on dry land he repents he says all right god i got you so he goes to nineveh and he enters into nineveh and he starts proclaiming repentance proclaiming hey you are going to die in 40 days god is going to destroy you like sodom and gomorrah you're gonna die repent turn from your wicked ways and they do it. They take his message seriously. But Jonah doesn't like that. Jonah's a little unhappy that God is a God of his word. Jonah 4, 1 through 4. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you relent from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please kill me. Take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Pretty crazy prayer. All these people just repented, and he says, God, I wish I were dead. Man, I'm so sad that they came to know salvation in you. I wish I were dead. And God says, do you do well to be angry? So Jonah's like, yeah, pretty much I do do well, God. Like, you're too merciful. You're too gracious. Mercy for me, not for them. Kill them. You're not going to kill them. Go ahead and kill me, God. That's fine. Let's do that. So God doesn't. So Jonah leaves the country, and he goes up and sits on a high place, builds himself a shelter, and he's like, all right, maybe God will actually smite them. I am ready. I'm going to sit back, cook me some popcorn. It's all going to be good for the show that comes. And as Jonah is sitting there, God sends a plant because it's hot. So God cares. Even in the midst of this temper tantrum that Jonah is throwing, God sends a plant. Verse 7, when, the day, dawn, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die again and said, it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, here he sees that this entire city of like 140,000 people did not die. And he's like, great. I wish you would have killed them all, God. And he sees that this plant died. And he's like, why'd you kill the plant? He cared more about his personal comfort of a plant. He cared more about this plant than he did the eternal lives of 140,000 people. 
Verse 10 through 11, the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are not 140, 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from left and so much cattle? It's like, man, you're, you're caring about these little tiny things when there is a far bigger picture that matters. And I feel like if he were to look at Americans today, at Christians today, we might be like, God, why is my AC out? God, why, why can I not get a vehicle that runs? God, why do I have to constantly deal with this struggle? And God's like, yeah, but here's these people that are going to die. They're going to not just die once. They're going to face an eternal death, a separation from God. And you're more concerned about this than you are about the lives of people, the lives of humans. Jonah is a great picture of how so many Christians are today and that we get caught up in the small comforts of us. And when they go away, we get so mad. But when we hear of people that perish because they don't know God, it stinks to be them. Man, wish they would have known God. Not through me, though. And God is saying, how about through you? How about whenever you pray, you align your thoughts with God's thoughts? And you say, God, not my will, but your will. Not my kingdom be advanced, but your kingdom be advanced. You see, one of the problems that I feel that we see in this situation when we look at other people is we see them as the enemy. Whenever I'm dealing with difficult people, so often it's like, man, they are the enemy. You know, we read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so often we read that, and we're like, yeah, there's no room for people like that. Yeah, they, they have made that decision. Man, they are throwing their lives away. I can't believe they're making one stupid decision after another, but they're making that decision. Yeah, there's no room in heaven for them. But then Paul smacks us in the face on the next verse. Verse 11, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. I almost feel like it could say, and were all of you, that you were a thief. You were an adulterer. Because if we want to take the Old Testament definition, maybe we're not. If we want to take Jesus' Sermon on the Mount definition, pretty much everybody falls in that category really quick. Murderers. Even if you are angry with your brother without just cause, you are guilty of murder. It's like, man, suddenly... Each one of those, we can find ourselves in there somewhere. But yeah, we want to say, no, not, not me, because I'm washed by the blood of Jesus, but that's how they are, and that's where they're going to go, and they made their bed, now they can lie in it. The only difference between them and us is the grace of Jesus. 
It, it is nothing that we've done. So often we like to think, well, I was a captive, but I, you know, as the guard was walking by, pickpocketed him, stole the key, opened the door like James bonded my way out, and I freed myself. And so everybody else has to do the same thing. But that's not true. Notice what is said after that in verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, not by yourself. Hebrews tells us that if we try and wash ourselves, it doesn't work. We just keep getting dirty. For the blood of bulls and goats cannot eternally take away the sins of man. We can't offer enough sacrifices to wash ourselves clean. The only way we're washed is by receiving the blood of Jesus. He says you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Not one of those is saying you did that stuff. Instead, you received it all. All of those are actions that only God can do. We cannot justify ourselves before God. Only Jesus can justify us. We cannot sanctify ourselves, which means being made holy. It's like whenever you say that was the last time and then you do it again. And then you're like, I'll never do that again. I'll work on my own power to do it again. And you do it again. It's because we never can on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to come inside of us. And so you see, whenever we look at these other people, they're not the enemy. It's the dark forces that are behind them. That's who the enemy is. Instead, they are captives who need to be set free. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's not that person, as he said in Ephesians. We're not fighting flesh and blood. I'm not fighting my neighbor. I'm fighting the dark forces behind them. And so they are not the enemy. We need to change our mind. And here's, here's the reality of it also. The doors have been open for them. Just the same as the doors were open for us. When Jesus gave his life, the prison doors flung open. The problem is too many people want to stay in prison. Romans chapter 6 talks about that. How you were slaves, but then you need to die to that. And you need to step out of that. And we do that through the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus, he did all the work of setting them free on the cross. We're called to show them that salvation. That's how we fight. That's how we battle this. It's not like you can pull out your weapons and start like flinging a sword in the air and fight these. It's that you pull out the word of God, the sword of the spirit. You put on the whole armor of God so that you can fight so that they can step out of slavery. Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so we stand firm in the word of God and we help spread that message. It's a message that we all have been called to share. It's the same unifying mission that every single Christian should be fighting to advance the kingdom of God on this earth. But it's an eternal mission. 
It's one that goes beyond this life. It's one that goes into eternity. You see, God could use any method he desired, but he chose to use you. He chose to use his people. He gives you this command in, rest, in Proverbs 24, 11, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Psalm 82, 4, Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So here's the question that I want to end with. How are you doing at advancing the kingdom of God? How are you doing at taking this, God, not my will, but your will, not my kingdom, but your kingdom, go and make disciples of all nations? How are you doing at advancing the kingdom of God? How are you doing in the spiritual battle that you have enlisted in? Paul writes to Timothy as Timothy is about to start this church, and Paul writes to him and tells him in 2 Timothy 2, 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Are we allowing ourselves to be distracted with so many things when God is saying, hey, this, this is your mission. Focus on that. And I believe that's why Jesus tells this in the prayer, your kingdom come, because it's aligning ourselves. It's reminding us when we're praying, hey, there is something far greater than just my comforts and joys and happiness in this life. There is an eternal battle to be fought. So what if this week we realized that we're in a battle and we boldly went to fight against the forces of evil? What if this week, every morning, we got down on our knees and we prayed to God, God, today, not my will, but your will be done. God, help me advance your kingdom today. And I noticed in 2 Corinthians, Paul prayed it, and also in, other, in, in Acts chapter 4, the first disciples and the first church prayed it. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for courage. Because that's what we're going to need if we're going to do this. Wars are not a place for the, the weak and the timid. It's where men and women step up and say, it might cost me my life. I'm willing to do it. It might cost me comfort. I'm willing to fight because I believe in this that is far greater than my life and my comforts. And that's what Jesus is teaching us. To shift our focus off of ourselves, off of this temporary, momentary life into the eternal life that he's called us to and into sharing the message of eternal life that he's called us to share. Because there are lives at stake. There are, especially in today's age, where we have this virus that is running rampant, where just sickness is growing, where, you know, so many things are happening that are causing a lot of people to see their mortality, to see that life is not eternal, and we are called to show them, but it can be. But you can have an eternal life. Christians, you have been called to the greatest war in the history of mankind. Greater than World War II. Greater than, than the Revolutionary War. Greater than any war in history. You have been called. And here's the thing. 
You're already victors. We've won. Our side is already victorious. Jesus has claimed it. And here's, here's even another thing that I think we miss so much. Matthew chapter 28. Starting in verse 18, Jesus told them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Because I have authority, I'm commanding you. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so often we stop there. We know the rest of the verse, but we cut it off. And we say, but man, that's scary. I'm going alone, God. I don't know where I'm going. And he says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When you realize who your father is that has your back. But not only that, he has your back. In in Psalm 34, we're told that he surrounds us. I mean, we have the army of God surrounding us, going before us. You're not going alone. That's where fear comes in when we start looking at ourselves. He says, no, you're not alone. I'm with you. So this week, remember, as you're praying this, as you're you're trying to refocus, God, not my will, but your will, not my kingdom, but your kingdom, I'm not alone. God, help me find courage, not in myself, but in who you are, and that you are with me. God, lead us. God, that's my prayer right now that you lead us as your people, that as we go through this, this week and as, God, we just encounter people, as we, we just go and, God, I pray we advance your kingdom. May, may this body of believers specifically be a body of believers that take this command seriously to go and make disciples, to go and further your kingdom, that we would die to ourselves daily, pick up our cross, follow you wherever that is that you lead us. But God, for sure, you're leading us to our coworkers. You're leading us to our friends, to our family members. God, you're leading us to people in our community that need 